Sunday morning. Um, we're going to take a look at a couple of different scriptures this morning. Pastor Billy is uh, away on vacation getting some rest and relaxation. Um, and so this morning, you get me? Yes. All right. And, uh, huh? And my parents. My parents are here. And my parents are here. Yep, welcome to them. Um, yes. Glad they are here. You can thank them for being here. That's why I got my hair cut. Everybody's happy, including my wife. Including my wife. Maybe she's not happy that I think my parents are here. But I'm sorry. All right. If you want to open up your Bibles, actually, if you want to open up your Bibles to um, Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking in there in just a few minutes. We're going to mosey around a few other scriptures before that. But Luke chapter 15, um, we're going to be looking at that. This morning, um, I want to talk to you uh, about what it means to enjoy the ride. I don't know if you remember, but um, we have our core values listed on our website and in our app. Um, and one of our core values is that we enjoy the ride. And in staff, I said this a couple weeks ago, in staff we've been going over all of our values just to kind of refresh us and, and excuse me, not in the car, um, just to kind of refresh our memories and, and refresh what God uh, has called us to do and, and part of who we are. And one of uh, our core values is we enjoy the ride. This is what it says on our website. If you want to take a look or on the app, it's under values. It says, we do not take for granted what God is doing in our midst. And we do not assume any of it is due to our own hard work or our own good. We rely on the grace of God and we seek to establish healthy life rhythms that honor God's design and plan. We fully embrace hard work. We fully embrace rest and we're determined in, in our effort to celebrate and we're determined in our effort to understand the seriousness of our relationship. And also, here's my favorite part, the life plan. Yes, how many like life plans? Right. So this value is entitled, um, Enjoy the Ride. And, you know, sometimes in our walk and sometimes in our life, it's not always enjoyable. Right? Who, who can relate? I'd like to hope everybody can relate, at least maybe not right now, but in general. Sometimes the ride is not that enjoyable. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes it's depressing. So how do we consistently enjoy the ride? How do we consistently stay in a place that no matter what is going on in our life, we can still enjoy who God is and enjoy and understand what God is doing and enjoy um, the, his presence in our life? And so as I was looking at this um, this past week, kind of getting ready for staff uh, meeting, it, I, I just really felt impressed that not just to save it for staff, but to share it with you. And um, I know I have you in Luke, but if you want to turn, we're actually going to look in Nehemiah chapter 8 real quick. Um, it's more fun you know, when you get to move around a little bit. If not, I'm going to read it to you. I want to start here. <coughs> you don't know the story. Nehemiah, he's done building the wall. All the exiles are back. And then they decided the next thing they wanted to do was gather together and read the scriptures. They wanted to read um, the book of the law. They actually built, it says that they built a, uh, a podium or uh, a pulpit in Jerusalem that they built so, so he could read the um, law to him. And it says, this is Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 through 12. Nehemiah 8, 9 through 12. It says, then Nehemiah the governor... Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites 
who were instructing all the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. What was happening, actually I'll just read it. It says, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So they began reading the law and they began to weep and they were sorrowful because they realized their life wasn't matching up with the things that were required of them. And they, they felt this pain and they felt this anguish and they felt this you know, conviction. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions of their food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. One of the ways, one of the only ways, maybe the only way really to enjoy this ride as we walk through life is to have the strength that God gives us through his joy. Let's say that. That his joy is our strength. It doesn't say our joy is our strength. It doesn't say that we're just strong. It doesn't say that we need joy in order to be strong. It says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And what Nehemiah is saying here is, is he's pointing out and he's getting the people to stop and say, you know, yes, sure, all the scripture is important in our life and we need to try and live to these standards that God has called us to. But the most important part is our relationship with him. The reason the day was holy, because this was the day they were brought back from exile. This was the day that they were brought back to relationship with the Lord, back into the presence of the Lord. And this is what the joy of the Lord was that he had in his people. What he was focusing on was, here are my people. Here are my people. What the people were focusing on is, my life is all messed up. And my life is hard and my life is not what scripture says it should be. But what the Lord is saying, what Nehemiah reminds them is to stop. To stop and realize that first and foremost, the, the most exciting part of this day, the most exciting part of this moment is that we are back together with the Lord. So let us celebrate because the Lord is happy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If we can begin to pause our lives and begin to, to look and hold fast to this truth that the joy of the Lord is our strength, this is how we begin to walk through this life on a more consistent basis, enjoying what it is. And, and, and I just want to break it down just a few things. What does it mean about this joy of the Lord? If you begin to read through the scriptures, and, and we're gonna, like I said, we're going to look through a few of them, the joy of the Lord is found in our relationship with him, his relationship with us. Look at Luke chapter 15. Look at Luke chapter 15. Yes, ma'am. Luke chapter 15. When we talk about relationships, we often compare um, or, 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 or judge our relationships by behavior, by what we do and how we're doing it and how well we, we're doing it. This is how we tend to judge our relationships. Am I getting along? That's not where God starts relationships. God does care about what we do. God does care greatly about the things in our life that are not of him. He cares greatly about family and, and that kind of thing. But that's not where he starts. So Luke chapter 15, you have three very famous parables that happen right back to back. Three parables that are really saying the same thing. So Jesus is really wanting us to understand and get a hold of this. And the first is, <clears throat> Luke chapter 15, it's the parable of the lost sheep. Many know it, right? I'm going to read it kind of quickly. It says, 
What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Verse 5, and when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, what? Rejoicing. He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous people who don't repent. Right after that, the parable of the lost coin says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner. And then maybe one of the most famous parables of all is the parable of the prodigal son. And and, and I'm going to paraphrase the front half. You know, prodigal son, he says, I want my inheritance. He goes off. He squanders his inheritance. He's eating with the pigs. And then he begins to realize I'm wrong. He begins to realize I need to be in the presence of my father. And so he will go. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to repent. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's what his plan was. And so as he started coming, his father saw him. And his father began to ran. That's the Hebrew. The father began to run to him. And the, and the son began to repent at his feet, and the father stopped him. He says, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven, but, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. Bring the ring and, and put it on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattest calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found, and they began to celebrate. In all three of these stories, the main focus was the presence of what was lost in that house, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. There's no mention of how did the sheep get lost, what was the sheep doing, who's responsible for the lost sheep, why was the gate left open, whose fault is it that the sheep is gone, who took the sheep, who hid the calf, did one of them sleep next to the calf, the sheep sleeps in their ears, the women are like, where's the calf? There is no talk of what did you do with your inheritance? Why did you do this to me? You hurt me so bad. Every single one of these, all three of these instances, it was the joy of the Lord was the relationship was being restored. The relationship was being restored. The lost sheep was back. The coin was found. My son is home. This is where God starts our relationship is the presence, his presence in our life and our our presence with him. This is where he starts. I, I have no doubt in my mind that at some point that father probably sat down with his son and had lunch. But that's not where he started. I, I'm sure if a lost sheep was gone, you know, because that, that means money, that means, you know, uh, food on the table, those kinds of things. I'm sure there was a conversation that said, how did this happen? What happened? When the coin went missing, I'm sure eventually there was a conversation, how did this happen? But that's not where God starts. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, I am excited to be with you. My joy is to be with you. My joy is that you are my people, that I have called you by my name, and that you are in my presence. If we can begin to get a hold of this, that, that the Lord finds joy in being with us. The Lord finds joy when we come to him. 
when we can grasp a hold of that and realize it doesn't matter that I've messed up. He says I can come to him and I believe I can come and, and I can repent and I can be forgiven and I can be redeemed. If we can hold on to that, that should bring us the strength and security knowing that my Father loves me. That God Almighty, creator of the universe, loves me. And that should give me the strength and the joy to walk in this world even when things don't seem right. And it starts in his presence. Paul, in Acts 2, 26 and 28, he actually quotes Psalm 16, 9 through 11, saying, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. In your presence. Now listen, if I go in your presence, that's where I belong. That's what we're created for, is to be in his presence. Because in his presence is where we find all of the truth of who God is. All of the promises of who he is. And in his presence is where we find joy. Where we find strength. Where we find peace. We find the promises of God. One of those promises that is just overwhelming always to me when I'm in his presence is I am always reminded of his promise of grace. Ephesians 1, 6 through 10 says this. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one who loves us. In him we have redemption through his blood, we have forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. In his presence, you get redemption. In presence, you get forgiveness. In your presence, he begins to reveal things, mysteries to you, God's will. He begins to reveal it to you. It says, to be put in effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. And Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. See, grace is promised to us whenever we need it. That's what Hebrews says. It says, we come boldly before his throne that we will receive grace and mercy when we find it. Talk about being able to walk in strength and understand that no matter what I know, I can go as a child of God, as somebody who is created by him and is in relationship with him, that I can go to him anytime with all my hurts, all my failures, all my concerns, all my fears, all my doubts, and that I'm going to receive grace for it. In his presence, we are reminded of his love for us. If you ever need to be reminded of his love, you just open up your Bible and you read all of 1 John. All of 1 John, you just read it over and over. It's probably one of, to me, it's one of the most encouraging uh, books of the Bible, seriously. Because it talks about our sin. And it talks about God's redemption. And it talks about his forgiveness. And it talks about his love. John, 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, because that is who we are. 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. And then Romans 31, 39, the ultimate, God's love. What then shall we say in response to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Everyone. Everyone can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long and we can we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors with him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither past nor present nor future, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. See, in his presence, we are reminded of these things. It's Trinity. He speaks these things to us and he tells us, my greatest joy is my relationship with you. My greatest joy is being with you and shaping you and molding you and reminding you of how much it is that I love you. We are more than conquerors through Christ. In my opinion, this, this is how we begin to live life on a more consistent basis, trying to enjoy what God is doing. You know, we were, I told you before, we were reading this book, um, a couple of us called The Pursuit of God. And, and this past week, it talked about the voice of God. And it talked about the power of the voice of God, that he spoke to nothing and he created something, that he spoke to chaos and he brought order. And in the New Testament says he spoke to the winds and the waves and he calmed them down. And as I was re- reading this and, and, and reading that, I began to just remind myself how often I need to quiet myself and, and I need to block out all the other voices. Because often what we do and, and we begin to get downtrodden and we, and we begin to struggle and we're not enjoying anything, we've let way too many other voices begin to influence our lives. We let way too many other things dominate our ears and our eyes and our hearts. You know, we let, you know, whatever it is that's on, on the media and whatever it is in social media and the news and, and your friends, I don't know what it might be in your life, but we tend to let everybody else's voice be louder. You guys are lucky. I was a little late in the game. I was going to have a bullhorn up here, and I couldn't get it done. It would have been great. It, I was I was really excited, but and then it, it went kind of crazy. And, and then I realized I'm going to just be at my house, and that's not going to be good. But often we let these things just blare into our ears and, and, and into our eyes and into our heart, and it dominates our thinking, and we begin to to walk in fear, we begin to, to, to walk in, in, in loneliness and depression and those things, and we're not fixed on him. We're not staying in his presence. We're not letting his joy be our strength, the joy of our relationship be our strength. This is, is the challenge that's set before us. If we want to walk and enjoy this ride and enjoy what God is doing, we have to realize that we have to be fixed on him and understand that what he wants more than anything is our relationship. He wants us to be in his presence. And, you know, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we are in the midst of something that is, is so devastating and so hard and so like we're at rock bottom. But I promise you, if we're willing to, he will.
to show us his ways. Because that is one of the promises you will begin to find as, as you seek his presence, as you stand in his presence. A friend of mine posted this this morning, actually, and so I, I added it in. It's Isaiah 41, 17. Because sometimes we're in a place where we can't fathom anything good for us. You can't fathom anything good for us. And this is what it says. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Isaiah 41, 17 says, their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. The God of Israel will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow and barren heights. I will have springs within the valleys. I will turn deserts into pools of water and parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the, and the acacia and the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the, the fir and the cypress together, so that my people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord is done. The Holy One of Israel has created it. What he's saying here, Isaiah is, is prophesying, and he's saying, what the Lord is saying is that in places that you can't fathom it happening, it's going to happen. In the middle of a desert, he doesn't just say, you know, water is going to form. He said he's going to make deserts into pools. That in the barren, that there will be rivers flowing. That he will put things in these barren places that you're walking through and these tough times to sustain you, to bring you life, to bring you strength, and to bring you joy. This is what the promises of God look like. But we have to be in his presence because when we're not, you'll forget. When you're not, you'll focus on everything that's wrong in your life, all the bad things that maybe you've done, all the bad things that maybe have happened to you, all the wrongs you have felt. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, you realize it's the behind of it all. His love for me, his joy that is found in him present. So this morning, if that's where you are, and you're in a place that you're struggling, hold fast. Stand fast in the presence of the Lord. Hold tight to the promises that he has for you. That his grace will supply and, and, and never run out. That his mercy is always, is always there. That he will make pools in the desert of your life. He will make streams run so that you may, where you may no longer be thirsty. Stand in his, in his presence. Be with him and he will show himself his joy will then become your joy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you and praise you for all your promises. Lord, that they're, they're all yes and amen, that they all come to pass. And Lord, your promises that you love us and you will never forsake us. Lord, your promises that nothing can separate us, nothing that we can do can ever separate us. Your promises that you will provide all of our needs, Lord, that you will pour out your grace. Lord, I pray that this week people will know and people will feel that more than ever. No matter what they're going through, no matter where they are in their life, Lord, they would know and feel your presence. They would know and feel the joy of the Lord as you're coming to their presence. Lord, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are 